0: Hi there, this is Robert Fleming, partner in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. I am, as I so often am, sitting here with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, six feet apart, socially distanced. We washed our hands before we came in. Elizabeth, uh, I want to talk to you. I'm a grandparent and you're not.
1: Um, <laughs> no Robert I'm not <laughs> and
0: uh, and you know one of the things I think about a lot is taking care of my grandsons you've met them
1: they're yeah. adorable
0: they are adorable they are maybe the best grandsons ever uh, in fact they just had birthdays and um, and it got me thinking about making gifts to grandsons or granddaughters I don't happen to have any of the latter uh and so I wanted to talk a little bit about how we how we make gifts to minor children.
1: Well, Robert, I think that there are a couple different ways to to talk about gifts. The first of all is if you are a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor, a friend, and you want to make a gift to a minor child, I think one threshold question is are we talking about a gift to help with something like, gosh, I know that uh, little Kieran loves to play soccer, and I know that it's expensive to go on a club team and and buy all the soccer gear. So, you know, I'd really like to be able to to help his parents uh, pay for that extracurricular sport this year. Or are we talking about something like, gosh, I know that Kieran one day will want to go to college, and I wonder if he has a 529 plan, a way to start saving for college. I think a threshold question with gifts is, are we talking about making a gift in real time to help with something specific that would make a difference today? Or are we trying to plan ahead a little bit?
0: And I guess we should probably be clear that we're not talking about birthday gifts. We're not talking about bicycles. We're talking about cash mostly. It's a, it can sometimes be securities or other assets that, I, that you might want to transfer. And I guess, Elizabeth, I might add a third category to yours, which is what if I'm just trying to get rid of some of my assets in order to keep my estate smaller or simpler, or there may be some other reason that I need to uh, I need to divest myself of things. Though we should say that is far less common than it used to be with the estate tax rules, um, making such large estates non-taxable. But I I like your division into gifts for a specific purpose or gifts for, uh, for the future education and welfare. And maybe we can turn that latter one into two, future education and future welfare.
1: So, Robert, when I think of future education, I normally think of things like a 529 plan. And um, When I think of something like future welfare, sometimes I think of something like an UTMA account, which is a, an account that could be at a, any kind of a regular bank or credit union and is really a savings account that um, might earn a little bit more interest than than a regular checking account that the money can be taken out of by a custodian before the the minor um, becomes of age. I do think that in different states, it's important to remember that the UTMA accounts, Um, will vary in terms of the age in which the, uh, I guess, the beneficiary of the account is allowed to withdraw funds. But I think UPMA accounts, those are far more flexible in some ways than 529 plans. We have seen a huge change, I think, in the ways that money in 529 plans can be used, particularly for folks when they're younger, before they go off to college. Some of those changes have happened just in the last year or two.
0: You know, we immediately drop into jargon and we ought to probably step back and do a little definition of terms for acronyms and and shorthand things. UTMA is the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, which has been adopted in 49 states. 49 states also adopted its predecessor, the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act, and somebody realized that not every transfer into a minor's name was a gift, so they expanded it. Oddly, one state has adopted the Uniform Gift to Minors Act but didn't update it to the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. So there's still one UGMA state out there. And the state that never got around to adopting UGMA later adopted UTMA. So UGMA or UTMA is available in all 50 states. Uh, Arizona's version is pretty standard. and, uh, and, And if you made a gift in arizona to an arizona beneficiary you would almost certainly um, uh, use the arizona upma um, law in order to make that gift the other thing that you said elizabeth um, it's not an acronym but a number is 529. 529 a lot of people know what a 529 account is at least in general concept but they may not know why it's called that uh, predictably, that's a section of the law, in this case, the Internal Revenue Code, Section 529, that allows for states to establish these accounts and for people to make transfers into them uh, under some kinds of special rules. Uh, so if what you wanted to do is that soccer uh, future, something that's going to happen in the next I don't know kieran is is eight this year so if he's going to become a soccer hero it's going to happen in the next 10 years i could just give that money to his parents and say here's a little something in case kieran gets into soccer right
1: well robert i think we have to think about who who that gift is being made to you're you're then making that gift directly to the parent not directly to kieran
0: and they might or might not use it the way that i intended them to so i could I could make it to Kieran by creating the Utma account and putting it in. And here's one of the nice things about the Utma account. I can remain the custodian of this, uh, of this account. So I can decide whether whether it's going to be used for soccer or cooking school or whatever his passion is in the next 10 years. Actually, because Arizona's Utma law lets it go to age 21. That means I could be in control of his money for thirteen years and fifteen years for his little brother Thorin, who's uh, who's only six. Uh, so that's a kind of an attractive thing. But there's a real a couple of real downsides to upma accounts. People have to understand: if you put money into an upma account, it is a completed gift. You even though you're the custodian, you're not permitted to later say, I shouldn't have given that money to Kieran and Thorin, I need it worse than they do, and take it back out. In fact, the technical legal term for that is theft. I have stolen their money if I take it out of the Utma account, even though I have the ability to as the custodian. It's their money, I'm just holding on to it. And that's so often misunderstood by people who create Utma accounts. They think, oh, what a cute little savings account that, that I, can, uh, I can set up that will go to my son or daughter later, but for now I still have control of it. Yeah, you have control, but it's not yours.
1: Well, Robert, and then that that raises, I think, something else that's often misunderstood. When the beneficiary of an UTMA account becomes of age, and I use the phrase of age because, again, UTMA accounts, depending on the state where you are, they will have different age requirements when the beneficiary is able to take funds out or have access to funds. In Arizona, it's age 21. People fail to remember that at 21 years old, Kieran can walk into that institution or go online to that custodian, show the requisite identification that he has, and actually take all of the money out and do whatever he wants with it. So people sometimes are confused that at that certain point in time when the beneficiary becomes of age, that the beneficiary is able to do whatever he or she wants with those funds and can withdraw them all at once. I think one other note for po- for folks who are setting up or thinking of setting up these kinds of accounts, I've seen a number of cases in which the the person who is administering the UTMA account, so perhaps the grandparent, becomes incapacitated or dies. Really, really important, if you're going to set up an UTMA account, or 529 plan for that matter, you go through the motions of of looking at the custodian's paperwork and appoint a successor, meaning that there will be somebody else already on file with the financial institution who can make decisions and manage the account if you die or become incapacitated before the minor becomes of age.
0: I want to clarify something that you said, Elizabeth. You you said it right, and I'm not criticizing that, but I think it often creates... Confusion for people who have utma accounts for their children or grandchildren. They think they hear they can they are are the they the child have the right to take it out when they turn 21, and they hear that as nothing can happen to it till age 21. Not true. Um, when when Kieran turns 18, if I want to with my utma account that I've set up for him, I can cash it in and hand him a check. There's nothing that prevents me from doing that as the custodian. The magic of age 21, as you said, Elizabeth, is just that's when he can do it, whether I want it to happen or not. Uh, I can cash most of it in when he's 16 to send him to Paris for, for uh, a, a semester abroad if, if I want to do that. Um, so you have access to the money. It's that they have access to the money, uh, whether you like it or not, at age 21. I don't want to go too far before we talk a little bit more about 529 accounts. So the structure of a 529 account is in some ways similar, but in some ways very different from the APMA account, the legal structure. Most people focus in 529 accounts on what the money can be spent for. They don't spend as much energy on who owns the account. So in the case of a 529 account, there's a tax incentive. That's why it's it's in the Internal Revenue Code. You put money into the 529 account and it grows in there tax-free. When it comes out, it's a little bit like a Roth IRA. Nobody pays the taxes on what comes out of the 529 account so long as it's used for specific purposes that are authorized, mostly educational purposes, mostly for tuition and books and, and related expenses. So long as it's used for that, nobody pays the taxes. But the ownership interest is a little different than the up account. If I put money in an account for Kieran or Thorin or both of them, or each of them, I should say, I still own the account. I can later change uh, who is gonna be the beneficiary. I could even, if I wanted to, go empty the accounts. Now, if I do that, I'm gonna pay income taxes on it. I'm gonna pay not just the taxes, but a penalty as well for, for, with quotations around the word, misusing the money in the way that, uh, that the, Section 529 anticipated. But I do have that power, where in an up my account, I don't have that power. Uh, and then there are some rules about maximum contributions in both kinds of accounts. Um, and they cause those maximum contribution rules cause more confusion than they do uh, enlightening. There's a, everybody knows, everybody knows, it's built into our DNA, that you can't give anybody more than $15,000 a year without having to do something. And it turns out the something is not very hard, but the UTMA account limit is that same $15,000 a year. If you put more in, then you're gonna have to file a gift tax return. Probably not gonna pay any gift tax, probably not gonna increase your taxes ever in your life, but you do have to file the return.
1: And Robert, I think it's important for folks to note: if you're a married couple, you and Rhonda could each contribute fifteen thousand dollars a year to the to the account.
0: To each of Kieran and Thorin's account.
1: Correct. And I think that for for those of you who are listening and wondering, gosh, um, well, maybe instead of making a gift in my estate plan directly to a minor child, I should make the gift to the trustee so that the trustee can then put the gift into an UTMA account or invest the funds into a 529 plan. Talk to us about that. I think that's I, I think that's really important for people who are listening today. Um, let's have a conversation about what your ideas are with these gifts. Um, I t- often tell people we want to give a lot of room and a, as much discretion as they're comfortable with when it comes to making gifts. Um, after they've died in an estate plan. Um, I want to make sure that, first of all, somebody's able to use their money during their lifetime for their needs. If they can do gifting during their lifetime, that's great. That's kind of a separate question. But on occasion, I'll meet with people who say, Well, Elizabeth, if my granddaughter is under 21, then I want the trustee to fund X amount of money into a 529 plan for her benefit. And, and that's one of the times where I'll slow down and we'll talk a little bit about why specifically a 529 plan and, and why not give the trustees some some room to make a decision about it. So for all, uh, all of you who are listening today thinking, well, gosh, I have these goals of making these gifts, but what happens if I don't get it all done in my lifetime? That's a great thing to talk to your estate planner about. And. And I know that we often have questions, Robert, about ABLE Act accounts. And one of the questions I have for you today is, tell me, is that the same thing as a 529 plan?
0: So ABLE Act accounts are a relatively newer invention. They've only been around for about five, six years. And they're also from the Internal Revenue Code. Interestingly, Section 529A, the immediately adjacent section to uh, Section 529 So it's obvious that what Congress was trying to do was create something that resembled 529 accounts, but the ABLE Act account is limited to beneficiaries who have a disability, who had a disability by age 26. You can put money into an ABLE Act account for a 50-year-old daughter if she was disabled before she turned age 26, even before the law was ever dreamed of or uh, much less enacted. Um, but once you put money in an ABLE Act account, in a number of ways, it is parallel to a 529 account. Uh, it, it has to be used for disability-related expenses. Um, there are, the penalties are not as severe as they are for 529 accounts for uses that are other than, uh, than for disability. The ownership structure is, uh, is yet a third variation over the 529 and UTMA choices. The, the beneficiary is the owner of a 529. Uh, I'm sorry, a 529A account, an able act account. Uh, and if the beneficiary is a minor, that means that somebody else has to be the manager, but it really belongs to the to the uh, the beneficiary, uh, and they can manage it themselves if they are capable of doing that, um, despite their disability. So, um, kind of an interplay between. 529-A, ABLE Act Accounts, 529, Education Accounts, and UTMA. And, um, you know, we're, we're running longer than we usually like to, and I don't want to broach a whole other topic, but there's another acronym people need to know about when they think about any of these things, and that is FAFSA. Oh, FAFSA. Do you remember FAFSA, Elizabeth?
1: I do. I do. It gives me a headache.
0: (laughs) FAFSA is the form that determines how much benefit you get from scholarship, needs-based scholarship, and and, uh, work-study and loan kind of arrangements. And each of those three accounts, ABLE, UTMA, and 529, is treated differently on FAFSA, but each of them can have an effect on your eligibility for for assistance with education. So if your point is to try to prepare for education, uh, make sure that you know what effect it's gonna have to have set up any of those accounts.
1: And Robert, we've done a podcast, I think, uh, probably a couple of months ago, you've done some great newsletters on ABLE Act accounts. For anybody who's listening today, I really recommend that you do a deep dive and, and do a little more research. It's important to, to know all of the rules with ABLE Act accounts because they really are terrific, terrific things, but they come with with a host of important rules, which um, it's important for folks to know that on the front end.
0: And Elizabeth, by the way, is saying that because whenever I say, let's do a podcast on ABLE Act accounts, she says, didn't we already do that? And I say, yes, but things are changing and people really want to know. So if you really want us to do a, a podcast on ABLE Act accounts, feel free to drop us a line. I'll show it to Elizabeth. Eventually, I'll bring her around. In the meantime, she's right. There's a lot written. We've done podcast episodes on Able Act accounts, and they are a topic all under themselves. How does any of that have anything to do with elder law? We are talking about grandchildren here. Kieran and Thorin are eight and six. How can they be elders?
1: Well, Robert, I think it's important for folks listening today to to realize that we're also talking about the ways that people can make gifts, gifts during their lifetime, and you don't have to be a grandparent to make a gift. You can be an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor, a family friend. Um, You don't have to be a grandparent to make a gift.
0: I was so afraid you were going to tell me I was an elder. (laughs) I'm Robert Fleming, and I am an elder, actually, at 68. I I own it proudly. and I'm a partner in the elder law firm, the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. One of my other partners is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. And it's the two of us you have been listening to. I hope you have enjoyed elder law issues this time. We certainly enjoyed talking to you about these topics and we will enjoy talking to you in our next episode as well. See you then.